When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, people? Adam Hunter here. Listen, all you people who are supporting me on Rockfin, I'm giving you another podcast today. Uh, I did an interview with the great Rich Antonito, former UFC star, former Hofstra wrestling star uh, on The Ultimate Fighter. A lot of people are wondering what happened to Rich Antonito. I'm telling you, this guy is a great guy, and I know you guys are going to enjoy the interview. And tell everyone how great Rockfin is. Make sure you give me a shout-out on Twitter, Instagram. Tell me how much you like the Rockfin Cause I'm giving you podcasts all the time now, so thank you. Hey, Rich, how's it going? Adam, what's up, buddy? What's going on? So we're talking to Rich Atenito, uh, who is a former UFC star, wrestles for Hofstra, ultimate fighter guy, and now coach, right? Uh, no, not anymore. Not anymore. Oh, I've been uh, I've been out of the out of the coaching for a little while. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah, I've been uh, I'm actually been working with uh, with Vitor Belfort on his uh, on his group training. Uh, company about two years ago we started working on this thing and uh that's kind of what where my energy's been i haven't been uh i haven't been involved in mma much um i was doing work with uh you know the late howard davis jr with his fight time uh fight time promotions down here we did that for about seven years and uh at that time i was still doing some coaching and then uh, I still have one guy left I was coaching, but he went to the military. And uh, since then, I guess I've been I've been out of that world a little bit. Now, now what is the Vitor Belfort group training thing? So it's called Belfort Fitness Lifestyle. It, uh, it's a combination of boxing and kickboxing for, you know, fitness and uh, functional training, strength and conditioning. Um, and we do all kinds of different, you know, workouts from endurance, strength, power, and uh, – you know, we, we target different movements and muscle groups every day, kind of like a sports performance-based training model. But we do this um, in a fashion that, that you know, the everyday uh, mom or dad or, or even elite athlete can come in and take the workout. So uh, we started franchising them, and uh, there's going to be one opening actually in Boca Raton and then another one actually up in Strong Island. Oh, nice. Around the, uh, yeah, I think around Port Washington is the first one. There you go. And and, yeah, and, that, so and that's where you grew up, right? Didn't you grow up on Long Island? Sorry, say uh, I grew up in Jersey. I'm a Jersey guy. Jersey, you grew up in Jersey. Your father was a um, a, a coach, right? The football coach slash gym teacher yep. slash all American wrestler. Yep. And then yeah, he uh, was uh, yeah he, he wrestled and played football at Indiana State University back in the, back in the day back in the day. Um, and then, uh, yeah, he was he was a, a pretty prolific coach in New Jersey, 
and then his twin brother, my uncle, was uh, was was one in Long Island. He was a he was a uh, teacher and a coach and a wrestling official and everything like that too. So wow, so you, you were right, you know, geared from the start. I mean, your father was going to put you in wrestling and football right away. Yeah, I was. He had to put me. He had to put me in something. I had a lot. I had a lot of energy. So if they didn't, if they didn't have me doing something kind of physical, I, I get in trouble. Nice. And then I then I read. So it's crazy because you're. I think maybe you were born in 1977. You're a year older than me, and you went to Hofstra. And I got recruited by Hofstra. I went with Tom Quaglio. He gave me my my whole recruiting trip, and I stayed with this guy. I think he was like forty years old when he, he was like a junior or something. He was this, this huge guy. <laughs> And, yeah, Mike Quaglio. Yeah, he was this enormous guy, and he was telling me how uh, like Tom Ryan was taking over, and then half the team was like pissed at him because they were kind of not that great, and they were kind of fucking around. Tom Ryan came in, took the whole program, and he brought you in. So you must have been a really good recruit. Um, I don't think I, there was much better recruits than me. I mean, I was I was all right. There was there was really good wrestlers. Uh, I, I was I was average. And uh, we had guys like uh, you know Eric Schmiesing and Roman Flazar, who were both two-time oh, yeah. All-Americans. Uh, Rob Onspach, who was a coach at Hofstra for a while too. We had you know those guys. Those guys were like the blue chip recruits, um, you know. But but I got a, I got the opportunity to go there and wrestle and everything, and it was it was great. Actually, it was an absolute monster. Huh. Tom Ryan uh, Tom Ryan cleared house, came in, and uh, I I don't know before before I got there obviously and. Uh, only a few guys remained, but uh, he really he really built the program up in a very short amount of time, and uh, yeah, and then obviously he's done what he's done at Ohio State and stuff. So it was pretty cool to be able to be uh, involved in the in the really the first uh, his first head coaching season all the way back in '96. But how did how did Tom find you? Um, it was uh, he he had been looking around at people in Jersey and everything like that. I actually was looking at maybe. I, w- I went on a football recruiting trip, and what happened was I went on a football recruiting trip because I was going to maybe play football at Hofstra, and, uh, but I also had an interest to wrestle as well, and they were revamping the program. Long story short, I got introduced to Tom, and uh, I decided I wanted to wrestle in college rather than play football. I kind of had like uh, more of a, I don't know, more, I-, I played football for a long time, but uh, I-, I just felt like the, the-, the desire to wrestle I love the competition of it. So, um, and then obviously with Tom Ryan being who he was coming from Iowa, uh, I always, you know, I got, I used to get pumped up on a Dan Gable <laughs> competitor Supreme, yeah. you know, video. I think, I think all the wrestlers did. So, you know, to, to get as close to that as possible was, was, uh, pretty inspiring. And so I, I went that route and, uh, it paid off because then that obviously served me a lot better once I started fighting than, uh, had I played football. But your, now your roommate in college is Phil Baroni. Uh, no, no, no. It was John White. Well, I had a couple different roommates. I had a couple different roommates. Teammates with Baroni. I was teammates with Baroni and uh, Hieronymus. But my freshman year, <laughs> I was roommates with John Weidler, who was actually one of the. He was one of the early guys from Hofstra too, who started jumping into, you know, MMA long before it was even called that. Yeah, I think and, my brother used he, to sell cars with him or something. I think he like. Sold her as cousin or something. My little brother's connected with that guy somehow. Um, yeah, but so now Barone. Now, how crazy was it, was Baroni like in college? I mean, I, could, I, could, I know how he is now. What was that guy like in college? 
Well, Baroni, I mean, he like before he ever got there, he was uh, Mike Amoroso from uh, Massapequa was on the wrestling team, and uh, they they were friends and, and wrestled. And all that all he heard was about Baroni, but he was like a he's kind of like a like a myth. Uh, and then uh, I remember he showed up one time, and I mean, I think he looked like he was two fifty jacked with like no fat on him, uh, you know, and then. So like, yeah, that's Phil Baroni, you know, he's going to come wrestle. Next year he came and he wrestled. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I always, I, I always had a great relationship with Phil, but he's pretty, he's pretty off his rocker. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> he was pretty, he was pretty, un, he was pretty unstable at times. Um, but yeah, he, it, it, it was just part of the dynamic of the team we had. We had, we had a lot of, a lot of colorful characters. Now, did he get kicked off a team for teams. selling ecstasy to the football team or something or uh... You tell us. Uh, well, there was like the one time. So obviously, like at Hofstra, there was there was like a changing of the guards. Uh, there was a changing of the guards at Hofstra University once um, Tom Ryan and, and the new crop of wrestlers came in because the football team at the time were like the you know they were the, they were the alpha males on campus and and you know, steer clear of them and just you know through the course of nature and uh, alcohol, you know. People start people start getting into things, and anyways, the, the football players and the wrestlers, you know, not not a lot, but got into a couple situations, and uh, you know, the football players found out that the wrestlers are not people to mess with. Yeah. And uh, there was a time where there was a time where um, you know Phil Baroni, I remember, was something was about to go down with him, and he was actually, I think, he had a he had a fighter competition scheduled, you know, and he's he's holding his. He had like the promotional slip or flyer like in his pocket. You know, he said, I got a fight coming up. You want me to hurt myself before this thing? You know, it was something like that. It was crazy outside. Um, but, you know, that was just one of many, many Baroni stories. Um, I mean, I remember one time he, he brought a set of boxing gloves into the wrestling room after practice one day. And uh, at the time, he, he actually was, I think he was like a kickboxing state champ or something, whatever he did. And, uh, you know, some of the... Uh, some of the less less uh, clueless wrestlers they put they put their the gloves on and just ended up getting pummeled. Um, <laughs> wow! But, you know, it was just like one of the. <laughs> but you know, was everybody everybody started throwing the gloves on, going at it. I mean, we had a lot of t- tough guys on the team. Um, you know, Jay Serrano, Jay Heron. Yeah, was uh he was on he was on the team. He was a, a, a tremendous tremendous wrestler, and uh, he obviously went on to have a great MMA um we had guys like dave bravo dave bravo back in the day he started fighting like pancraze oh wow out in uh might have been out in long beach they had like a lou neglia pancraze <laughs> fight out there that was like an underground fight too because you couldn't even do it i think i had and, a friend uh, named steve kotler that was doing that from oceanside he was doing i think that yeah. yes yeah it was out it actually was out in uh oceanside yeah right in that area and they did that we we had a uh we had all the right mix Oh of, my god! Uh, I could only imagine characters that everybody started jumping into the fight, the fight game at some point or another. Yeah, so you wrestled. You you wrestled at one sixty seven and one ninety seven. So you gained thirty pounds. Uh, did you oh, make god. it? To, did you make it to nationals? Well, no, no, no. I, I. Uh, so yeah, so I, 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 I made it. Uh, I made it. Um, you know, nowhere. <laughs> so I was pretty much average in college. The, uh, I started. I actually, when I wrestled '97, that was because uh, some of, one of the 
brainiac freshman that came in. I was actually going to be a 184 pounder. And, uh, one of the brainiac freshmen that came in was smoking weed all summer. I didn't really think that you got tested for, oh, wow. uh, for some reason you're going into the NCA. Of course they're going to drug test you. Right. So, uh, this guy's, you know, he was one of the bigger recruits. He's a Pennsylvania guy and he comes in smoking weed. Long story short, he ends up, uh, he ends up getting popped, you know, for smoking weed. And like a week before the season, I'll, I'll never forget. I, I got, I had been, you know, got myself down to weight. I was walking around at like 184 pounds already. I was, I was feeling good, whatever, ready, you know, ready for the season. And, uh, you know, that happens. And Tom just comes in. He's like, yeah. Uh, he's like, we're going to need you to bump up to 197. And I'm like, oh man, I, you know, I weigh 184 pounds. So long, long story short, I end up wrestling 197. Wow. And, uh, maybe I'm like, yeah, I was extremely undersized. I was maybe 500 that year. I had some, you know, I had some good matches that I wrestled, but I mean, we went up against, you know, Iowa and Iowa state and Minnesota. And I was wrestling like all Americans. There was a couple couple matches i just got you know i wiped the mat the guy wiped the mat with me and then there was you know there was some matches that i stayed in there against some pretty tough guys too so well you got the most improved being, uh, you got the most improved wrestler which is pretty badass yes. um yeah which that that year i did get the most improved wrestler award which was was kind of nice you know it's kind of um, nice but then again you don't yeah. know how bad you were to begin with so that means you still could suck right even though you just improved so yeah, i mean hey everything's a journey right you do i mean it was at the time, it wasn't always that much fun, do, you know, having to do that. But hey, you know, it builds a lot of toughness. Oh yeah, and, uh, absolutely, well, man. Tom, you know, Tom Ryan. It was amazing because like the mindset that that guy could put in your head. I was like convinced by the end of the year. Like at some at some point, he had me convinced I was a ninety-seven pounder. So you know, I was obviously very hard on myself every time I lost a wrestling match. And uh, I'll never forget it was at like the conference and I conference. Uh, you know, tournament, and I end up having like, you know, I lost my one match, uh, and then I lost my, I went wrestle back in the constellations, whatever. I lose a, a very close match, and uh, you know, I'm sitting there on the side, of, I'm sitting there on the bleachers at the end after you know reflecting on the year, just like, oh god, that was a long ass year wrestling up at 197, and finally, he looks at me, and he says, hey, Antonito. He's like, I think you're more of an 84 pounder. He just told me, <laughs> said that to me. And I remember picking my head up, just being like, huh? Did I just hear that? Like, thank God, because all year, he, you know, yeah. he never gave me, he never let me budge for a minute or think that, you know, uh, anything short of winning was acceptable. But it was kind of nice to hear finally uh, th- that he acknowledged the fact that, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I look, you did kinda... it, you know, you, you did it for the team and you, you know, you you stayed in at the Division One program and you wrestled the best guys in in the world, and you know that's awesome. The fact that you did that, the fact that you said you were an average wrestler coming out of high school, and now you're wrestling the best guys in the world at University of Iowa at at, at twenty pounds up shows you how tough you are and like your character. So yeah, yeah, it wasn't bad. Yes, I appreciate I appreciate that. So it was good. I you know I learned I learned a lot of things wrestling in college and and gained a lot of skills and. and um, you know, it takes you to another level wrestling division one in college, especially, uh, under a guy like, you know, Tom Ryan and with the great, you know, the teammates that, that I had, they were, you know, they were, they were as tough as they get. And, uh, yeah, we all pushed each other like, you know, much like every other wrestling program does. They, you push each other to the limit and you get each other better. 
and uh, it served me a lot better. Uh, my experience in college served me much better once I got into mixed martial arts. So, yeah, so, uh, so let's talk about that for a little bit. So you leave college. You're now working at New York sports clubs, right? Yep. Uh, yep. And then who gets you into fighting? Baroni? Actually, no, no, no. So I moved back to Jersey. I moved back to Jersey. I went about a, a two-year span where – I hadn't, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, doing anything athletic. I was, you know, I was, I was lifting weights. I was uh, working in the gym. I was lifting and uh, just going into New York City on the, you know, on the weekends like most people do and uh, living it up, whatever. So um, I came across a guy uh, and actually st- stepped into a place called Planet Jiu-Jitsu. This is a, this is pretty old school too. So I, I there was a, a guy, Jeff Miller. Uh, came into the gym that I was working out locally in Florham Park, New Jersey. It was uh, called Planet Fitness. Anyways, he opened up a place, a little jiu-jitsu school in there, and started doing jiu-jitsu. So, of course, in college, we loved UFC. We loved pride fighting. We used to mess around. So once I was done, I kind of wanted to try doing that, you know. Um, but I really didn't have any thoughts of fighting. I mean, we used to go to watch Peroni fight, and we used to go to watch some of these other uh, big fights. And... Uh, you know, I just didn't have any kind of um, thought in my head that that was something that I was going to do, um, but I loved it. So I started doing a little bit of jujitsu um, here and there, but didn't really take it seriously. And um, anyways, a little time passed, and I would kind of come and go. And I ran into this guy. So when I was working at New York Sports Club. I was running the gym. I was the, the head trainer, fitness manager. And I had a guy that was in there who used to be a professional boxer, a guy, Leo the Italian Lionheart, Lord Kona. Oh, he was a big, yeah, yeah. This guy, I don't know if you remember the movie Death Warrant, yeah, with uh, Van Damme. But the guy Sandman Burke, who was like the evil guy in uh, Sandman Burke, the evil guy in Death Warrant. He kind of Leo looked like him, but like if he mutated into a more scary form, oh, wow. and then had his nose broken three times. Oh my god! So, yeah, I mean, he's just absolute menacing uh, monster of a guy. But an absolute sweetheart, too, once you start talking to him. It's all personality. So he was uh, at, the, at the gym at the time, and we, we got very friendly. And he actually had started training some guys here and there. And he was the one that started kind of pushing me and prodding me about it because he knew I wrestled in college. You could see that I was, you know, I was pretty athletic. And uh, he would just kind of keep pushing me. You know, he'd say, hey, where'd you waste you? wasting your talent sitting here by the desk. You're wasting your talent. And he used to keep prod me like that um he had a real kind of particular particular sound to him too when he talked so finally you know i had gone to a couple local events and i was realizing i was like you know um i was like i could take these guys down i was like looking at these events i was like oh i was used to going to ufc's at the time i would go see baroni fight in the ufc went to atlantic city went up to mohegan sun and i'd see these guys fighting i'm like geez you know that's uh it's pretty intense. And then I would go to, I went to the local fight. I'm thinking, ah. I'm like, this doesn't look that bad. I can take these guys down and beat them up. Yeah. So long story short, I was like, I told Leo, finally, he kind of pushed and prodded me enough. And I told you, I wasn't really doing much of myself other than working. I was trying to, you know, I was working, but I was, I had a void from not doing anything athletically right. for about two years. So I told him, I said, hey, look, if you teach me how to box, I'm like, I can already wrestle and I got a place I can start doing jujitsu again. I'll start fighting. So he said, deal. So six months later, we t- uh, I, I started going back to playing jiu-jitsu um, regularly and uh, started training. And I, I took my first fight six months later. And it just kind of 
you know, kind of took off from there. I got, I was very much into it. I told myself I was going to fight at least five fights and see what happened. And on my fifth fight, I ended up running into the guys from American Top Team down in Atlantic City and uh, Ricardo Laborio, and they invited me to come down, train with them, and that's kind of how I ended up in Florida and ended up with American Top Team. Now, was that before or after the Ultimate Fighter? That was before. This is like, so I started fighting in 2004, and in 2006, I ran into the guys at Top Team, and, and we had a good team. By that time in, in Jersey, we built up a pretty strong little, we had a no-gi jiu-jitsu team, right? And um, we started training, and we had guys, so, so Jim and Dan Miller, obviously very yeah. well-known guys, and, and Jimmy just fought this past weekend in the UFC, and, and uh, he, he was a top guy for a long time. Those guys were on the same, we were all on the same team. We all had the same little thing going. Um, so there was, a, there was a great, like, little talent pool out of the place I was fighting out of. Um, and so, but, but I, I needed a place where I could be, you know, around a team of people you know, and consistently get that type of training environment. Um, and so that was 2006. I moved down to Florida because I knew if I, ha if I wanted to be successful, I had to go to a place that I'd be put in my position, uh, put myself in the best position to do so. No. And some of the guys that you, I mean, so you go down to ATT, I mean, do you, do you jump in there with Hector Lombard right away? Uh, no, he actually came down like two years later. So I had gone down there and, uh, I mean, there was already a, you know, tremendous team. I mean, we had like Tiago Alves and, and Wilson Govea. Um, Marcus Aurelio was there at the time. Mike Brown was already there. Benji Raddick. I mean, Dennis oh, wow. Kang. I mean, I could keep just rattling off names. George yeah. Santiago. So there was, I mean, they already had a tremendous team. Um, so I was able to jump in the mix and start, you know, training with these guys and learning from these guys. And, um, you know, getting pushed in the, in the, in the, tri in the practice room. Um, which, you know, obviously that's the only way you get better is if, if you're getting, if you get beat up on or challenged. So, um, Hector came down about 2008 and, uh, and yeah, Hector, Hector, Hector's, uh, definitely a force to be reckoned with. And, and, you know, he kind of came into the gym and, uh, he's deceiving because he's extremely personable, very like nice, nice, you know, nice guy. But once something happens, once you put the gloves on and you start training and, uh, it's just like, he, he he's got, you know, two speeds. It's like off and on. And so, uh, I, I always had, had good training experiences with Hector because I could communicate with them, yeah. you know, about, yeah. about like, Hey, let's not try to knock each other out with the four ounce gloves. <laughs> um, you know, but there, I mean, he laid, he laid a lot of guys to waste. He probably, he laid a lot of guys to waste. I mean, so, I mean, you're watching that, right? So you're watching a, a guy go in there with Hector Lombard, think he's sparring, he gets knocked out. And then is everyone in the gym just kind of look at each other? Like, now what do we do? Or... Does the guy yeah. get up and run away? I mean, what? I mean, everybody, I mean, you know, you're in a gym with, I mean, you know, so it's not like anybody's concerned, but you're just kind of like, it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what the fuck happened to this guy? Like, you look, you know, you look over the guy, they got the, you know, one minute to stand and move, you're moving around, you're supposed to be doing the warm-up rounds. I mean, this is all the things, like, this is the warm-up round. Next thing you know, you look over and somebody's fucking knocked out, you're like... <laughs> Like, what in God's name just happened? They got the kid's head resting on, like, a focus mitt trying to revive him. Oh, my uh, God. You really? Know, you're wondering, like, how could this happen? So, like, in the beginning, in the beginning, there was, uh, I don't know, it took a little time to realize, you're like, all right, this guy really only goes, you know, one speed. So, right. um, 
but whatever it was you know was what it was it added uh it added an element of, of surprise and excitement and danger all at the same time that i mean you go anywhere it kind of happens uh, but i always had a good relationship with hector i never had any kind of problems like that with him and uh i, I think it's just a type of situation where um you gotta know you gotta know who you're standing in front of right when you're gonna train you know now, now so, when someone like colby covington says like brazil's a dump and you know makes fun of all the russians and like and then he goes back to the gym and it's all brazilians and russians is it super awkward or they all know it's a joke or i gotta tell you i don't know i mean for me I, i've been out of it i'll jump i kind of come through there here and there and uh i'll do a little jiu-jitsu or whatever but uh every, you know colby when he came in i remember when colby came in and he was just a wrestler um and a, a great wrestler and, and a really good athlete and, um, you know, he really built himself up and, and, and came on strong and took his first chance to jump in the UFC on you know, short notice fight. And, um, the rest is kind of history, but, but he didn't really, uh, I guess more of the, the recent stuff, you know, I haven't been around for it. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I think probably, you know, there's always people who are globally sensitive. Um, you know, they kind of get a little butt hurt because somebody makes a couple of, you know, offhanded remarks and, and you know, you gotta realize you gotta take it with a grain of salt. I mean, it's all about entertainment value these days. I think that's kind of what Colby's doing. He's maximizing uh, his ability to talk some smack. I mean, it definitely gets attention, but uh, I don't, I don't know. You know what what ends up happening when he goes back into the gym? I'm sure. You know, there's the people that think he's, you know, they take it more seriously, and the other people that know, hey, you know, just take it with a grain of salt and and let it slide. No, I mean, now you be some. That's the nice thing about not having to worry about it anymore. I don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. Now you beat Jamie Yeager. You knocked him out. You beat Rafael Natal. You lost David Branch. You beat Daniel Roberts, who's a great fighter. And you lost to Jake Heck. You lost one fight, and then you stopped fighting. Why did you retire? Well, it was kind of peculiar situation at the time. Um, You know, I had I had lost that fight to Jake up at UFC 140. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a fight I was winning and I was actually one of the first people to kind of get caught with those elbows to the side of the head against the cage going for a takedown. And, you know, you saw that for a while, start coming into UFC, a lot of guys were getting knocked out with those yeah, elbows of course. to the head. Yeah. So he, he actually, the bizarre part about that too, that fight was I watched a guy do it to him in one of the fights I was watching and, uh, turned around and ended up doing it to me. <laughs> Um, I didn't go out or anything, but yeah, it was enough to, it was enough to get the finish. And, um, so anyways, that happened. And then, uh, you know, I had to take a little break cause I had a little concussion. So I started coming back to training. I was supposed to fight Rick story in Jersey, uh, May or June of that year. And, uh, and then I hurt my knee. I got like a bucket head tear on my meniscus, my whole knee locked right in training. And uh, I had to pull out of that fight, get surgery on my knee and uh, then I came back and uh, looking for a fight, trying to get a fight. Long story short, they kind of threw a short notice fight at me over in England. And, um, you yeah, know, we kind of went back and forth about it. And, and that's actually, I didn't end up taking the fight. And uh, I got released from, from the UFC for that. Oh, that's, so, that's such BS. That's ridiculous. Yeah, so, so they released me. Joe Silva released me. And... Uh, yeah, it was a, it was it was really unfortunate. And uh, after that, I was you know, obviously 
you know, pretty devastated over the situation, but whatever, you know, you roll with the punches. I was going to try to fight down here in Florida, um, you know, try to work my way back in. And I had a fight scheduled, I think, and this was now would be, you know, February of 2013. I had a fight scheduled and, uh, then I, I hurt my other knee Uh. getting ready for this fight. So after, you know, it took me, I didn't have any health insurance at the time and all that. So I kind of just had to switch gears and uh, started kind of re, you know, get myself worked back into a, a kind of workforce type life so I could, you know, stable my income, everything like that. And uh, I don't know, at that point, it just, uh, I kind of changed gears and just kind of kept going that direction. Well, I'll tell you, man, I mean, you you know, a lot of these guys with, with the CTE or, you know, they just, they're just kind of, you, you have your wits, you have this, you got your whole life ahead of you, you're a smart guy, you seem pretty happy. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it was for yeah, the best. I mean, yeah, it was good. I mean, you're right. I mean, the thing is this, it's like everything's going to come to an end at some point. Um, you know, and sometimes it's not always on the terms we're going to choose, you know, but, but life goes on. So you continue on. I, I'm, I'm a decision for myself. You know, I could have, I could have, I felt like I could, could have fought up until about, I could still have been fighting up until about a year to a year and a half ago is when, I started feeling like I was like, you know, like my body was hurting a little extra, this, that, and the other thing. And I'd be like, man, I would not want to be trying to train for a fight because it's just grueling. But I probably got out of it a little bit early. But, you know, there was there was other things that I was interested in, too, as well. And I was able to work with uh, Howard Davis Jr.'s fight promotion. So I was working on the other side of things. And I got to experience that. And I got to experience things from a promotional side. So, you know, it was, uh, everything's a little give and take. Right. Of course. Of course. Well, it was great seeing you at the show, even though there was like a, some drunk guy that I thought was with you who wasn't, who just kept buying you and all your friends drinks over and over again. Oh, man. And then at the end, yeah. at the end, he was like cursing, uh, to you. To, and I was like, this guy might get knocked out. Like, this is just some annoying guy. He was like right out of central casting from wanted to be in Goodfellas. And I, yeah. whatever yeah. happened with that guy? Well, man, it was well. First, first and foremost, I, I absolutely enjoyed your show. You're, you're hilarious. Oh, thanks, man. You're the king of one-liners. Um, that was we had a we had a blast. Oh, thank and, you. Uh, it was definitely, it was definitely a pleasure being able to see up up front and personal like that. But uh, it it turned out they told us afterwards this poor guy. So you, you might we're gonna feel a little bad here. His son, I guess, passed away recently. Ah. Oh. You know, yeah, I think it was an accident or an overdose, something like that. And they had told us, they said, yeah, this guy comes in. I guess he would go there a lot, quite a bit, but obviously he took a turn once his son passed. And that's why he's kind of been acting the way he's acting. And, and yeah, I mean, this random guy buying us all these drinks and he's very, I mean, you gotta be, you gotta be used to that though, right? Well, yeah, but I like, I, I thought he was one of your friends. So I was like, I didn't want to mess with him too much, but he just kept talking <laughs> and then I just kept slamming him. And uh, then when I realized he wasn't one of your friends, I was like, oh, I, I would have been a lot meaner to him, you know? Cause well, he's, he sat down very comfortably, right? You would have thought that he was he was with us the way he sat down so casually with us as well. Yeah, but then when he started, like, it was Mikey Rod, the, uh, the boxing coach over there. When he started, like, saying stuff to his sister, I'm like, this might not be good. Uh, you don't want to mess with the you know, American top team boxing coach. Uh, his sister, yeah, you know, but uh, was, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, you had a tough, you had a tough crowd as far as percentage wise. <laughs> was that 
that night, right? And, oh, yeah. Uh, well, I was in Boca Raton on Passover. It was, and it wasn't, yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> it wasn't exactly the best time to, Chaz, be, to be in Boca. Chaz Skelly. Oh, yeah. And Chaz, <laughs> yeah, Chaz was there. I can't believe Chaz makes 55. Look like he was like 255. Yeah, he I know. Like, he, uh, he, he actually looks... Um, Oh man, the name of the guy is gonna blank me. He kind of looks like the guy who's who's the uh, who's who's the comedian or actor that was in uh, he's in Dumb and Dumber. He pulls the guys over and he drinks the piss. He kind of looks oh, like oh yeah, that like guy. Harlan Williams. Yeah, he kind of does look like yeah. Harlan Williams. Yeah, yeah. He looks like kind of like a bizarro Harlan Williams. And then he was sitting with that tall. What was his name? Tall Steve, the Bellator yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, Tall Steve. <laughs> yeah. That guy looks like. I mean, when I saw that guy, he looked like a hybrid of like the the guy who plays. And like Alexander Gustafson, totally. If they had like, if they had like a fucking like blended and had a kid. You no, know, I actually po- I posted like me and Tall Steve, and then Stefan Stroop was like, "Who the fuck is that guy?" But I guess they're like they're friends. <laughs> so that, that, that that was kind of funny, but uh, cool, man. So are you, are you married? You have you have kids? What's the deal? Uh, nah, man, no kids. I have. I live with my my wonderful girlfriend, and uh, we've been together for about about four almost. Four or five years, and uh, so we're living together. Yeah, we're gonna get married. We're gonna have some kids before I get too old. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll be 42 in June, so 42 years young. But uh, yeah, you know, it's all. Yeah, uh, I, I got. I want to be able to keep up. She's, you know, she's she's young. She's much younger, so it'll work out. Same. My my wife's 28, so uh, yeah. She she yeah, she, 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 got, me she likes little pump. I thought she meant like a breast pump. I, I didn't even know she meant like the rapper. So I know exactly. I know exactly what you mean, man. I know exactly what yeah, you mean. Yeah, it's, it's more natural like that. How does your? How do your? You know, it's hilarious. You have so many funny jokes, so, so many self-deprecating jokes. Does your? How does your wife like your your bits? Uh, at first, she hated me. Like on our first dates, was at my comedy show, and her friends were like, "You'd better not be, be with this guy." It almost went really bad. My dad was there, and he's like, "If she stays with you, marry her." Um, but now, but now she likes it. She likes it. Uh, you know, she's got kind of a funny, like a like a goofy sense of humor, but but she's cool. Like she's 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 a really good sport about it, which is cool. And like you know, right. she she knows how I treat her like in real life versus like the stage persona. Yeah, so, yeah, she's cool. Well, some girls they get you know, some girls they get sensitive maybe over the joke tell. Like, oh yeah, you got to go back and like answer for shit after you tell the joke. You're just like, yo, I'm just trying to make people laugh. Yeah, she doesn't care about that as much. I mean, she doesn't like. Uh, I, I almost think there'd be nothing really except for maybe her, some of her family members that would be off limit totally. So, uh, yeah. but her, her, she's like her family's pretty Christian, so they don't like my stuff anyway. So it's right. It's, you know, I don't really have to worry uh, that much. But as long, you know, she likes it. It's just it's fun. Like when I travel, she goes to me like to Vegas or whatever, like the fun places. She won't go with me to like Lancaster, Pennsylvania, or something, but. But the certain, Amish country. Yeah, I almost went to F and M, like their wrestling team. That's how I know uh, Lancaster. But uh, oh, nice. But listen, man, it was an honor having you on the show. Uh, keep up the good work. And next time I'm in Florida, let's definitely hang out. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. You've brought me back to some kind of relevancy by having <laughs> me on the podcast. And uh, appreciate it, man. Keep doing your thing. I'll be uh, I'll be looking out for you. Thanks, brother. Take care. Alright, bye. Trap, sons, and traps, sons, and traps. Traps, sons, and traps, don't 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 sons, and traps, don